Hi, today I'm going to be talking about the drug war in Latin America with an emphasis on the cartels in Colombia and Mexico, as well as the resolutions we hope to see for the future. So Latin America has been attacked for decades by a U.S.-led drug war, and rightfully so, many people attribute the commencement of the drug problem to the U.S. As the drug trade and consumption has been present at least since the mid-19th century. Starting in the 1960s, though, drugs became highly um, discussed on all levels. Nixon formally declared war on drugs in response to the counterculture, or what he called social upheaval, in the, 19th, in the late 1960s and early 70s. He primarily tar- targeted hippies and African Americans as he felt they didn't fit into the social construct. Later, Jimmy Carter chose a path of harm reduction, providing medical and psychiatric treatment to addicts. However, in 1981, during Reagan's first term, he declared war on drugs once again, saying that they are bad and we are going after them. He went after hard drugs such as cocaine and heroin, as well as weed. Latin America is a crucial geographic location for drug production and trafficking. The Andean countries of Colombia, Peru, and Bolivia are the world's main cocaine producers as they have a suitable climate, while Central America, Mexico, and the Caribbean are prime locations for transportation into the U.S. and Europe as it's easier and closer to the borders. Colombia had started off by playing a huge role in drugs as they are a mass exporter of the cocaine. However, the U.S. had made several efforts to curb drug use, and none of them have worked so far. However, they have left a lasting impact in those countries. The production countries that I mentioned earlier face environmental and community damage from forced eradication of coca crops, their aerial spraying, and as well as the funding of guerrilla insurgent groups. You can see a lot of that in Colombia and Peru. When you do this aerial spraying of crops, it's not only killing the coca crops, but any other crops that happen to be nearby, therefore effectively ruining the crops for that year. Additionally, if you get hit by those crops or if it sprinkles down on you, you can get really sick and it's hard to recover from when you have no money from having no crops to profit from. All countries have experienced an insert, a surge in violence, corruption, erosion of law, and human rights violations as a fault of the powerful cartels located there. And the Latin American government has spoken out against prohibition, saying it is not doing much good with the aim of creating a dialogue around the drug war. And although the U.S. and Latin America and Europe have tried several things so far, none of them have really seemed to work. Because you take down the kingpins or the leaders of the cartel, it either fractures and the lieutenants fight over who gets to be the next 
leader or they split up and make mini cartels or the drug lord has a son or an heir that they've placed next in line who will continue after they've been killed or put away. And once again, going after the crops doesn't work. And taking it down from the bottom, people are easily replaceable. So they haven't really figured out a way to go at it in a way that works so far. But the drug war has been bad for several reasons. Most important being that it causes thousands of deaths per year. In Colombia, 15,000 people died during a 20-year uh, cartel war. While in Mexico, there's been 120,000 deaths and disappearances since 2006. Secondly, the balloon effect, which is when you crack down hard on the cartels and force them to move elsewhere. When they move elsewhere, they're not taking care of the destruction that was left in their wake. They're just bringing it to a new place. So it leaves destruction and huge socioeconomic damage. Thirdly, the police and governmental corruptions. In Mexico, 92% of their crimes aren't reported. While in Colombia, the police that receive U.S. aid have had long-standing ties with paramilitary groups. So the U.S. is essentially just funding cartels without even knowing it. And if you do decide to be brave enough and speak up or, like, be a witness against one of these cartels and go to the police, you're likely to be killed because those same police are working with the cartel you're speaking out against. And then there's the whole circle of violence happening. These children and families are either not getting income or food or whatever, and they need money. And so they're forced to turn to these cartels and be runners or slowly work their way into their cartel to get paid to afford to feed their families because there's no governmental support and they're just forced to turn to that. And if they want out, it's really, really hard to leave because you have secrets. You, you know the workings of the cartel now. You can't leave. You're stuck there. As well as that declaring this war on drugs has made them more forbidden and more taboo and more profitable. So we're just, once again, funding right into the cartels. Mexico is a huge player in the... U.S. drug war, being that we share the same border and there's three main cartel groups, or two now main cartel groups that are located there. The first being the Sinaloa cartel, which is located in the northwest of Mexico. It's one of the largest trafficking organizations in the world. It was founded in the late 80s, and for many years it was led by El Chapo or Joaquin Guzman. And he earned a reputation of violence and outfought several rival gang groups. He became the biggest supplier of illegal drugs to the U.S. during his reign, and mainly cocaine, heroin, and weed. He led a surge of violence in the region um, as others wanted to take advantage of him. And then in July of 2019, he was sentenced to life in prison but that didn't take down his cartel. 
His son, Olivio Guzman Lopez, now partially controls the cartel. Um, and while he was arrested in October of that same year, the cartel was quick to show their military power and had a shootout with the police in broad daylight that resulted in um, Olivio getting freed. Secondly, there is the Jalisco New Generation, which is mainly located in the west around Tierra Caliente. It was formed around 2010, and it's the strongest and most aggressive competitor to the Sinaloa cartel. It spread quickly and is now very dominant in the country, and it's worth $20 billion, at least. It's led by Ruben Oscura, or El Mancho. He was a former cop and Mexico's most wanted man. The bounty on his head is around $10 million. And this cartel is one of the main distributors of synthetic drugs on the continent, heavily influencing the market for amphetamine in the U.S. and Europe. And they've had a huge growth in power due to their huge use of violence. Finally, there's the Gulf Cartel, which was located in the Northeast. And it's one of Mexico's oldest criminal groups, founded around the 80s. And it's known for getting cocaine and weed into the U.S. They also dabble in heroin and amphetamines. And they were known for working closely with Colombia cartels as well. Around the 90s, they were bringing in billions of dollars a year. And they kept this momentum up by engaging in police corruption and bribery to keep their name floating around. It was led by Juan Garcia Abrego. He was the first Mexican drug lord on the FBI's top 10 list. However, he was captured in 1996 and serving a life sentence. The cartel was taken over by Ociel Cardenas Guion, and he built a military wing from corrupt social special forces soldiers but they eventually went rogue and split off and made their own cartel. And he was captured in 2003 and is serving a sentence of 25 years. And it caused the cartel to weaken and split. Now in Colombia, the two biggest cartels are the Medellin cartel and the Cali Cartel. So the Medellin Cartel is led by Pablo Escobar mainly, but also Jose Gonzalez Rodrigo, Rodriguez Cancha, who had roots in shady emerald trading, uh, the Ocha brothers, and they were convinced by a young weed smuggler, his name is Carlos, that he could fly in small planes to the US to deliver or export cocaine, which avoided the need for their well-known method of taking it in suitcases. So because there was large amounts going in, it increased the want and need for it, which resulted in huge profits, which they re reinvested into sophisticated labs. However, Pablo wasn't satisfied with this. He wanted power specifically within the government but they wouldn't let him, and it led to a standoff between the cartel and government during the 80s. 
and he is thought to be responsible for the death of hundreds of government officials, police, prosecutors, judges, journalists, and bystanders. And when the cartel began to self-destruct as a result of too much violence and power increasing too quickly, uh, Gancha was killed by the police. The Ocha brothers turned themselves in in the 90s for a lenient jail term. And then Escobar was hunted and killed by the Colombian police. The Cali Cartel, which is located in southern Colombia, is obviously the main rival of the Medellin Cartel. They're led by the Rodriguez Orejula brothers and Sanchez Londono. And they were the less flashy version of the Medellin cartel, kind of. They treated their exportation as a legitimate business and reinvested their money into real businesses. They began to ta attack Escobar in a violent, competitive manner, and they formed the Pepes, which is an English people against Pablo Escobar, and targeted his home's business and lieutenants. They also secretly supplied the DEA and cops with info about Pablo, and in 1994, he was alone and running for his life when Colombia cops caught him, so that's how he was captured. Years before Cali began to dominate the cocaine trade, they began to employ terrorist techniques. One of them would be where they separate the cartel into like little groups called cells, and each cell knew little to nothing about the rest of the people in there in order to prevent them from forming attachments and make sure that they were easily replaceable. Additionally, they hired well-known lawyers to study the DEA and U.S. prosecutors so they would be a step ahead and hired top engineers to create technology that couldn't be bugged. When cocaine use in the U.S. went down, they began to ship to Europe and Asia, creating a bigger market. The owners are also thought to own an insane amount of land and several legit businesses that bring them in even more money. In the past 10 years, the former president Ernesto and several congressmen have been accused of accepting money from the Rodriguez brothers. And however, the brothers were arrested in the mid 90s, serving 10 to 15 years term. Now in present day, the cartels have started to realize that it's easier for them to be tracked down and taken apart or killed off when they're organized in these bigger groups. So they've started to fracture their cartels and make smaller little active ones, which has gone well for them, honestly, because there's about or more than 300 between the two countries that we've talked about today. Obviously haven't been taken down. Now, in terms of what needs to be done to help control the whole drug use and violence and cartels, there's not a whole lot out there that we have tried that we can say works. 
but I have hope because Biden recently released a plausible plan for change. He is strong on the fact that they need to change their approach, especially since the drug use in the U.S. and probably all around has been worsened by COVID. They need to reduce the supply of dangerous drugs and called on authorities to combat money laundering by blocking illicit funds. He's also very vocal on the fact that the pandemic has worsened the opioid crisis and wants to really specialize or create an emphasis on aid and rehab and mental health organizations and help, as well as providing Colombia with an alternate to COCA so they can still be bringing an income without having to create the negative impact that cocaine has on people. And he also really wants to work with Mexico in creating progress in their police reform and social justice, especially in the Northern Triangle, which is El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras, where they see a lot of police activity that's not great. And you don't hear about those countries often because they're kind of smaller and are easier to get tucked away and not paid as much attention to. And he also understands that targeting the kingpins and gang leaders just breeds more violence and for control. And he expects to shift the U.S. approach to the region with an emphasis on aid, diplomacy, and human rights. Whereas Trump wanted to sanction the stop or blocking of Venezuelan, Cuban, and Mexican immigrants at the border, as well as building a wall, which really looks like a fence, in hopes to keep them out, and as well as drugs. And so, while we haven't seen any of this, I think there's several good solutions floating out there. So I think, along with Biden's plan, I've read several articles, one of them being working with the cartels, which I was a little bit hesitant about because you obviously want to stop the drug usage and trade and whatnot. But we have to keep in mind that the cartels hold a significant amount of power over the government, country, people, everything, especially the economy. And they clearly have their stuff together in a way that the Latin American government doesn't. So maybe, so they had discussed that creating like uh, agreements with the cartels in a way that would significantly down the exportation of hard drugs and whatnot. But I also read about decriminalization of drugs, not necessarily hard drugs, but like weed, which we've started to see in the US as well as other places. And that has also significantly hurt the income of some cartels, which is good because if they're not receiving that 
illegal money anymore, then they are forced to drop people off and they're weakened. So in the end, I think this whole drug war and cartel business is incredibly complicated and it's easy to come at it in a harsh and negative way and just speak with violence. But I think it's really important for people to look at it openly and want to help people as opposed to destroy and attack Latin America. And we need to change our relationship with Latin America because thus far we haven't shown them that we truly care about their interests and what's best for them and the rest of the world.